Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. It's great. It's on your phone. You call up the app. You got a thing you want to go to in a couple days. Good. That's when the ticket prices are dropping. Find your seats. Click, click, click. You are done. Well, now Game Time is going to hook you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store, then click on the My Tickets section of the app, create an account, and then under the billing section, redeem the code THEATHLETIC. That's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That would be December 31st, 2019. So make your moves quick and score last-minute tickets with GameTime. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show Signing Day Wrap-Up Edition. As we speak, it is nightfall on National Signing Day. Uh, the polls have been open, as it were, for over 12 hours. Actually, quite a bit longer because there were some people signing from Australia starting yesterday. But most of the signings that are going to happen during this early signing period have happened. If they haven't signed yet, they're probably waiting until February. But... I bring in Max Olson from The Athletic to help me sort it all out. And Max, our signing day morning began with us staring. And we're not together, by the way. We on in, in thousands of miles apart, the two of us were staring at a Periscope feed from South Dade High School in Homestead, Florida, and could not rip our eyes away from it. We couldn't. And, and for the most of that time, Andy, we were watching pretty much nothing. No, absolutely nothing, because there was a guy who was sitting in a chair playing with his phone, and then he took a phone call, and he was gone, and we were watching basically the door of a hallway to see if he would come back out. Yeah, the Jaden Francois, a four-star defensive back um, from the state of Florida, he was down to Miami and Nebraska, and, uh, you know, one of the... just. I, I, I don't know how, like, it was almost a word of mouth thing of like, oh, I'm going to pull this thing up, right? Because you, 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 there's always one of these every year. The guy walking off the stage, uh, <laughs> obviously, we, we you know, you and I have no idea why. It was funny. Scott Frost was asked about it today because Jaden Francois eventually came back. He, he left. He came back. He took his, his card with his name on it. He left. And he came back again. And uh, and he ends up coming back and signing from Nebraska. And, and 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 Scott Frost was asked about it today, and Scott Frost was indeed on the phone with him in the hallway and was texting him throughout when he was sitting on the table to make sure he would finish the job there. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Nebraska already had his letter of intent at this point, right? It it seemed like yes, and and Frost was asked about that today. It seems like the prevailing theory is that. Um, people were getting in Jaden Francois' ear about Travis Fisher, Nebraska's uh, secondary coach, maybe trying to convince him that Fisher was going to leave Nebraska, which Fisher says he's definitely not leaving Nebraska anytime soon. And uh, it sounds like maybe that 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 message got through to him after he'd already faxed the LOI, which which leads to a lot of uh, you know confusion and panic. So they tried to, to somebody tried to create a Roquan Smith situation. For those who don't remember. Roquan Smith was a great linebacker at Georgia. He did not announce 
on National Signing Day that he was going to Georgia. He announced he was going to UCLA, but in this case, he had not sent any paperwork in. Right. And after he announced, and now Georgia coaches and coaches from other schools that were recruiting him had been hammering him and everyone who knew him all day, but everybody had their phones turned off. So it was, as soon as somebody, and I believe it was Roquan himself, turned on a phone, he saw this screenshot of a report from Alex Marvez, who's an NFL reporter. Mm-hmm. And in this report was this throwaway line about how UCLA's defensive coordinator was going to take a job with the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> it, and Alex Marvez does not follow recruiting, does not care. No. He had just heard from the Falcons that this guy was coming to the Falcons. And UCLA had been trying very hard to keep that a secret from its recruits. And so when Roquan Smith found out about this, he was very upset, understandably. And so he winds up not signing with UCLA. Now, he actually never signed a national letter of intent. He just signed a financial aid agreement with Georgia. Which which we wish people would do that all the time, don't we, Andy? Yes, yes. If you are – well, let me preface this. Okay, the national letter of intent is the worst contract in sports. It guarantees the athlete nothing, and it guarantees the school everything. Mm -hmm. But – that said, if you are the 21st guy in Arkansas State's recruiting class, you need to sign it. That's right. If you're the 21st guy in anybody's recruiting class, you need to sign it. But if you're a top 100 recruit, you do not need to sign it because everybody still wants you. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, uh, that, but that was, was kind of the drama of the day, right? I mean, it wasn't... That was it. Yeah. It was us watching no a periscope mom. of a kid standing in a hallway... Uh, we have no idea what's going on or if he's coming back yep. or, or why any of it's going on. No mom absconded with anyone's letter of intent. So far. We've had that happen before. So far. Yep. We've seen. Yeah, it's true. Uh, there were no fax machine hide. I don't know. I don't think anybody's. I think a few people are still using the fax machine. But uh, like I, I was texting today with the, the high school coach of a Joe, a Joe, mm-hmm. who is a receiver from Alberta, Canada, who. And I, I forget the tiny little town, but it's basically halfway between Calgary and Medicine Hat. And he's going to Clemson. He played his senior year at a, a small school in Clearwater, Florida. And I was texting with the high school coach. I said, what's the deal? They haven't announced that Joe's signed yet. And they're like, I think, I think he messed up the timing. And they need to get his mom to sign it. And then they just got to take a picture and send it to Clemson and prove that they signed. So it's not even a fax machine anymore. Mm -hmm. Like a few years ago, you heard about people driving across state lines to find a fax machine. It's not even that now. Now it's now it's mom went to work without signing. We went and found mom on a break. She signed. We sent the picture. And then Dabo Sweeney introduces a Joe a Joe by saying, I'm Dabo Dabo. I'm Dabo Dabo. I love that. Did you see... um I, I was reading up on Clemson's class. Did you did you see the kicker they signed? I did. Who's never played high school football, but plays soccer and is apparently a great soccer player. He's also the son of the person who runs Dabo's All In Foundation. Well, there you go. Tanner Tessman. Dabo says he could play D1 basketball if he wanted. He can kick it 65 yards left-footed and 50 yards right-footed. That's a <laughs> freak amazing. show right there. Well, listen, the Sweeney kids are on the team. The Venables kids are on the team. They signed another Venables kid today. So, hey, listen, listen, it's working. Whatever they're doing is working. For sure. And the thing about Clemson that's interesting is as much success as they've had, and they have had a ton, two national titles in the Dabo Sweeney era, uh, five ACC titles, this is their first number one recruiting class. 
Isn't that weird? I mean, I know, like, like look, we know it's hard to break into the club of top five classes, but you would you would think it would happen sooner for Clemson. You'd think so, but, you know, they were getting... So, I think Deshaun Watson probably kicked... Well, let's, go, let's back up. In the Tommy Bowden era, they got C.J. Spiller, mm-hmm. they got Daquan Bowers, so here and there they would get those types of guys. But they didn't really get them in bulk or get any that everybody on earth wanted until Deshaun Watson. Right. And then it was Christian Wilkins after that. And then it started really rolling. And, and you know, they had the class with Trevor Lawrence and uh, the the defensive end and all those guys where, where you're like, wow, okay, now they're really rolling. But this is, you know, six five stars. They had a chance at eight but didn't, didn't wind up getting them. But they get the, the number one – Recruit in the country, according to 24-7, and that's Brian, Brian Brisset from Maryland, a defensive tackle. Who, who Dabo called a more violent and heavier-handed version of Christian Wilkins. That's terrifying. <laughs> that's not good. That's they not get, good. They get the number three overall recruit in the country, Miles Murphy, from uh, suburban Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He's a defensive end. They get DJ Ungalale, a quarterback from St. John Bosco in California. Props on the pronunciation. And- <laughs> Uh, hey, I, you, you got to get it right now. Can Dabo do it yet? Uh, Dabo apparently has it spelled phonetically in his phone. I saw that. That's amazing. So he is praying that, that DJ Ungalale never looks at his phone when he calls him. But he's the number one quarterback recruit in the country, uh, or, or kind of, they I guess, the number one pro-style quarterback recruit, and uh, they trade off. In fact, modern day's quarterback who signed with Alabama, yeah. they played each other this Bryce year. Young. So, and then you got Demarcus Bowman, from Lakeland, Florida, who that's what Dabo, Dabo said. He's another CJ Spiller. And for those who don't know, when Dabo says that, he doesn't say it lightly. CJ Spiller to him is the most important player in the history of Clemson football because he started all this. For sure. You know, it's interesting too. Like this, this is not something where, wow, great job today, Clemson, right? Like it, this has been, this has been kind of commonly understood since the summer Oh yeah, Clemson's going to go sign the best class in the country this year, and and they didn't they didn't close on um, Jordan Birch, and, and there you know there's certainly some other really really high level guys that uh, could have made this class even better, but like it, for for it to be just kind of obvious common knowledge for all the all these months that Clemson was going to sign the number one class for LSU to have the run that they did, Alabama and Georgia are always going to recruit at, at an extremely high level. Um, like what an insane job of of holding this class together and and continuing to add add free to it and and ultimately I mean it makes a ton of sense I mean you, you think about what's the difference between now and 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 a couple of years ago uh, you know I think Clemson has fortified the the offer there um, in in every way like what what's the knock on Clemson at this point like they've upgraded the facilities you've got staff continuity. You're going to win the, the the conference title every year for the you know for the foreseeable future. I mean, why wouldn't a kid want to go to Clemson at this point? Well, and that's the thing. My question is, are they widening the gap now right. between them and everybody else? Because they weren't recruiting like this before. They were already evaluating better than, better than everybody else. I mean, they're they're to the point where now when I see Clemson taking a three star, I assume that person will play like a five star. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair and and quite frankly, what you know, what program besides Florida State in 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 that conference can 
and and maybe Miami when they're when they're successful. But I mean, there's not that many teams in that league that are going to be able to to string together those kind of classes. While we're in the ACC Atlantic, I, I will pause briefly because. Florida State signed not one, but two quarterbacks after going two years without signing a high school quarterback. High school quarterbacks. Uh, yes. The big news, they flipped Chubba Purdy away from Louisville. And Chubba Purdy, the little brother of Brock Purdy, I went out and met him in Phoenix a couple of months ago because I was doing a story about all the great quarterbacks that are coming out of the Phoenix area. And at that point, Florida State wasn't even in it. Willie Taggart still had a job. You know, Mike Norvell was at Memphis, and this feels like a case of Mike Norvell liked this guy. Remember, Mike Norvell was the OC at Arizona State, so he knows that area very well. He knows that there are good quarterbacks in Gilbert, Arizona. Mm-hmm. So this this feels like a little bit of, you know, you call him from Memphis, and he's like, eh, I could do a little better. And you call him from Florida State, and he's like, okay, I'm listening. Well, and it's it's cool for him to get the opportunity, right? Because Brock had to wait forever. You know, his older brother, Brock Purdy, the Iowa State quarterback, had to wait kind of forever to finally get that kind of exposure. And, and to some degree, Chubba did too this, this summer. I mean, ultimately, his choice was basically between Louisville and Kansas State. Um, but I think I just think it's cool for that guy to get a chance on that, on that stage. And with what he's walking into there, Andy, don't you think he has a chance to play really quickly there? Oh, absolutely. Now, Tate Rodemaker is the other quarterback they signed. He's from Valdosta, Georgia. Now, he was going to USF. He was Kerwin Bell's mm-hmm. recruit. Uh, Kerwin Bell, the former Valdosta State coach, who was the offense coordinator at USF this year. But that staff's been fired. Jeff Scott's not retaining Kerwin Bell. So Tate needed a place to go. And I think you know he, they, they wanted to sign two quarterbacks in this class because they, they want to make sure they have some depth in that room. And obviously, Alex Hornibrook's gone. So it's James Blackman and then these guys and uh and they've got the transfer from from louisville so they, they've got a few guys now that they can actually have a real competition and chubba purdy's gonna have a chance to play yeah and if you watch what brock did he stepped in pretty much immediately at iowa state now it took a few games before he wound up winning the starting job as a true freshman but i, I got a feeling that that chubba purdy will probably have a say in how florida state's 2020 season goes let's go to the other end of the recruiting rankings though max mm-hmm. Hold on, I'm scrolling down. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. Wait, I have to load more now. Uh, this is not a team I've ever had to press load more for, but I think you know where I'm going with this. We're down here at number 78 between the Bowling Green Falcons and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Two spots above these people are Troy. We talk about, of course, the men of Troy, USC, your number 78 recruiting class. Still last in the Pac-12, right? I believe Utah's actually last in the Pac-12. They're, oh, they're no, jockeying Utah, for oh, the bottom sorry, there. Utah jumped up. You're right. Okay. Utah jumped up. So that is just bad. And, you know, our colleague Stuart Mandel took a lot of heat from USC fans because he posted a, a screenshot of the rankings mm-hmm. and said, this is what happens when your coach's future is up in the air all season. Right. And they said, you know, yelled back at him, no, it's because he stinks. <laughs> and I I don't, I think it's a little bit of, and I'm not saying Clay Helt stinks, but I think them not living up to, to their capabilities and not developing the kind of recruiting classes they've had in the past, plus uncertainty about his future. Yes, I think that is a, that, plus it's a very small class and you can't, 
right. to have a high ranking with a, with a tiny class. But still, USC should not sign just one four-star and zero five-stars in a class. I mean, look, it, uh, what, what happens on, on this day? These guys sign a piece of paper, making commitment for four to five years. Like the, These kids have no idea what USC is going to look like in, in one year or two years, you know? And I think that's... I think that's challenging, and so you know, you they you go into a day like this, and you're like, okay, maybe maybe they can win the battle for for Justin Flo, or they can flip Bajan Robinson, or they could flip Elias Ricks, and and ultimately, those guys want to play with each other, like they want to play with great players, and they want to go play for contenders, and for USC to have a class that has one blue chip guy, it's Jonah Monheim, an offensive lineman for in state, the number 350 player in the country. I mean, it. You have to string a bunch of them together. It's not going to take just one. And and you know, you lose Bryce Young during this recruiting cycle to Alabama. You know, they could still get Gary Bryant Jr., but um, you know, you never really had a chance with C.J. Stroud there. Like, I just, I, I, it, it, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing on this, obviously. Um, but uh, like, what? Why would kids kind of want to commit to you know all that uncertainty right now? And not to mention, Andy, we. There's a there's a real real obvious trend going on here, and that's you go look at the top 50 recruits in the state of California. Um, right now, 16 of them out of 50 are committed to go to in-state schools. Only one of the top 25, and he's going to Stanford. So this state is uh, completely open for business right now, uh, with the the Oregon's and Clemson's and Alabama's and LSU's of the world uh, eager to poach, and uh, and and a lot of it's USC's fault for for letting it get to this point. Yes, USC should be the first choice of every kid in California unless they can get into Stanford. Right. Then then that should be your first choice. I mean it, it shouldn't be that complicated, but like Justin Flo is a, a prime example. Uh you thought okay, he's not going to go to Clemson when Clemson went and offered a, a linebacker from Charlotte this weekend. Mm-hmm. And and spots in a Clemson class don't open up very often. Right. So that meant somebody they were going after wasn't coming to them. Which by the way, so, just by the yeah. way, that linebacker, that that guy was like at the top of North Carolina's board, okay? And they they felt good about him. And and Clemson brings him in for an official visit this weekend and gives him an offer this weekend and he commits. He's the number 1 player in North Carolina and Clemson waited until this week to offer. I mean, that's where Clemson's at. That that is exactly where they're at. And but they they're very judicious with their offers they they don't just hand them out like candy mm-hmm. like a lot of schools do mm-hmm. and so but you, you kind of knew justin flow wasn't going there that that was a that was your bat signal that he wasn't going there so it was going to be oregon and usc and Kayvon thibodeau from california did this last year now one of the best players in california i believe he's the number one player in the state of california justin flow going to oregon again and and you saw it on the field when Oregon went to, to USC, Oregon has just upgraded its talent immensely, especially yeah. in the trenches. And USC can't hang with them anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, just the disparity in that match. And look, USC played well in a lot of other games. So you're not, tr- I'm not trying to pin it all on one game here, but the difference between those two programs on that night was, was startling. Well, Oregon's the best program in the Pac 12. They just won the league. Now, they're still prone to some weirdness like losing to Arizona state, mm-hmm. but the way they're building this, they're building something, a, a team that, that could possibly in the future compete with a Clemson or an Alabama or an Ohio state or a, an LSU. That's what they're building right now. And I don't see that from USC, even though 
USC is the place where it would be easiest on the uh, west of the Rockies to build that kind of roster. Right. Yeah. I mean, you go you go look at that state. Like, look at what Herm's doing in that state of California, right? He, he flipped Johnny Wilson, uh, a really, yep. really good receiver from Oregon. Um, I, I think they're going to end up closing out with a lot of really good players out of the state of California. And that's, again, like, it's not because the, the USC is not in this position because it's like too competitive in their state. It's that they've completely ceded the, the extremely natural advantage they should have over, over everybody else. And that's because of, it's not necessarily because of Clay Helton. It's because all of all the turmoil that just comes with USC. Well, it's that, but do you think if, if James Franklin or, or some other Matt Campbell, some other hot coach were there now, let's say they had decided to make a move on, on Clay Helton, wouldn't some of those guys have flipped to USC? Sure. Or at least considered oh, it. Oh, completely, completely. And, and, and that's, you know, for for the anti-Clay Helton folks, that's a it's a very obvious talking point that – anybody else could could have a chance to sort of flip um flip the tide here a little bit but um and 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 this is you know this is why you've done a great job of writing about this um this this very important problem that these programs have is uh you know like i i like clay hilton i i think they had all things considered pretty good season um but when you have all these things going against you how are you supposed to magically make a you know a 10 win season happen well, exactly, and that that was my issue with them keeping him, is it's not necessarily all Clay Helton's fault, but this has become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. The fans checked out, they voted with their butts, they stopped showing up. The recruits said, we don't know what's going on, we can't sign and commit to you because you can't commit to what you're going to be in the future. And the thing is, the vote of confidence for Mike Bone for Clay Helton, that only lasts a few months. Right. That that's not a four-year vote of confidence. You know, they're not giving him a contract extension, which obviously they shouldn't. So, unfortunately, they were in a position where they didn't really have a choice. Yet they made the other choice anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and in a class like this, and I, and look, I know it's a, it's a smaller class, um, just in terms of what they could take. Okay. But you, you have to remember to just look at the top of the standings here, okay? And Alabama signs 21 four-stars or five-stars. Clemson signs 17. Ohio State signs 17. LSU 16. Um, and USC ends up with one, you know? And, and, and there's not there's a little bit of time to add a couple guys, but not really. I mean, as, as of the time we're taping this right now, only 14 of the top 100 guys have, have not signed at this point. So this is, um, you know, I, I'm sure that USC will scramble – to find find some guys here and look, uh, Keaton Slovis was not a guy that was considered a blue chip guy that this time a year ago. You know, hopefully they've USC's made good evaluations and and find some guys that can contribute. But like they're only bringing in three early enrollees from this class. Like you you need to bring guys in right now that can can help you get a lot better quickly. And and they just can't do that with this class. Now I will say if you go to the class of 2021, USC already has three commitments from from top 20 guys in the state of California. Right. So. They, this might be reversible. It just maybe it's going to take a great season from them and then a surge in recruiting. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if anybody can pull that off. It's, no. it's, 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 you're behind the eight ball if you're Clay Helton. And I, I just don't know what you do about that. And, and guess what, Andy, it's, the next coach, the next coach who comes in, if they, if they make a change a year from now, then that coach is trying to string together 
a class in, in a couple of weeks before the next signing day, you know? So you're, you're already kind of doing right. damage to the next one. That's exactly right. And, and I talked to Neil Brown this week at West Virginia. Now, Neil was in a very unique situation last year because Dana Holgerson didn't get the Houston job until after the class January. was already signed. Yeah. I remember, yeah. yeah, Major Applewhite got fired Houston after the bowl game. So, uh, so Neil Brown comes in. He had to basically re-recruit all the players they'd signed because his deal was, hey, if they ask, we're going to let them go. We can't handle the, the PR hit if we try to hold them hostage. So I better go recruit them and make sure they want to come. And he got all but one of them to stay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it, he said it set him back. I mean, it, basically 2021 will be the first class where – he and his staff will have been able to really focus on that class. So it's, it's tough in the, in the era of the early signing period. But you know, what, you know what Clay Helton didn't do? He did not flip the double bird to his own institutional network. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think he did. I'm pretty sure he didn't. Well, they don't have an institutional. <laughs> they, well, the Pac-12 network. Yeah. Uh, but they actually did. The Pac-12 network actually did cover signing day, unlike two years ago when they just pretended it didn't happen. So uh, that that was good. But Clay Helton did not flip the double bird. Tom Herman, however, did flip the double bird to the Longhorn Network, which ESPN, I believe, pays fifteen million dollars a year to Texas to uh, to have that access. And uh, I'm sure he was just joking, but uh, screen grabs live forever, folks. I, you know, I used to uh, when I when I was with ESPN, I used to and, and down in Austin, I, I would do the Longhorn Network um, signing day show. Uh, uh, you know, every I think for a few years, and uh, so I guess in some ways, I'm just relieved he wasn't doing that uh, toward me. Right, right. I don't know how Lowell Galindo feels about this, but uh, it, it's just just a strange situation with Texas, and they have a, a good class. They do. They, now they had a smaller class as well, but but got quality in the class according to the rankings. So it doesn't seem like what happened on the field this year hurt them in recruiting. They, they, but... they did have a lot of decommitments with this class in the, in the past month or two. And, and look, um, they, they over, over the last two years, um, Tom Herman and his staff have, have liked to really pound their chest about the fact they signed top three classes. Certainly it means a lot when you recruit better classes than A&M in Oklahoma when you're at Texas. And, and this class... Um, you know, ranks behind those, those programs, you know, so they, they signed some really high level guys, but John Robinson, I mentioned, um, is a guy that's going to play a ton for them. Um, and, uh, and you know, they, they found good pieces here. They got the D lineman they needed in, in Vernon Broughton, but, uh, but yeah, not, uh, pro- not, probably not the, the best move to, to start your day if you're Tom Herman. No. And, and A&M, you mentioned yet another strong class, this is the year that they were that they were pointing toward, mm-hmm. and you know it, it's interesting because I got a question in my mailbag coming out tomorrow: Is the year two effect gone, and now is it the year three effect because of the early signing period? If you look look at the classes in this century that have been the most impactful, like Florida in two thousand six, that's Urban's second class. Mm-hmm. He gets Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin, Brandon Spikes, a bunch of other good guys. Uh, Alabama in two thousand eight, the list is so long, but it's you know, Julio Jones, Dante Hightower, Mark Barron, Barrett Jones, just guys who set up multiple national titles. Right. Uh, Mark Ingram, Mark Ingram was in that class. 2013 at Ohio State. Uh, the list is incredibly long, but JT Barrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Darren Lee, uh, Eli Apple, Von Bell. Georgia's 2017 class, DeAndre Swift, Jake Fromm, Andrew Thomas. Well, now you're. I think you're not going to get those till year three for the same reason I just mentioned. What Neil Brown said at West Virginia, that's going to be the class where you see 
a, a coach put his stamp on things and, and you see the, you know, the results on the field, at least that's what they're hoping at Texas A&M. Yeah, I think, because, you're, I, I think you're right about that. Like, I feel like it's a, it's almost like class two plus three at this point, right? Right. Yep. And, and that's, that's what they're hoping. Now they had a good class last year too. So it's not, it's not like they were hurting for recruits, but they, they're an interesting case because they've never really dipped in terms of recruiting level. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was Kevin Sumlin or Jimbo Fisher, they just have to get the results on the field. Yeah, they're you know the the two programs say that stood out to me just in terms of signing blue chip guys. A um, and M signed thirteen um, four stars and five stars, and and Tennessee signed twelve. And those those are two coaches in pretty similar positions um, who put together really good staffs, really good recruiting departments, and it makes sense that they've done this. You know, I think the thing that's been really interesting to watch with Jimbo, like you know he's 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 taken some of the best players out of the state of Texas. Demond Dean is the wide receiver. People are going to know that name very quickly. His, if, he's a freak. He's athlete. a complete freak he's show. Crazy. And if and if he gets on the field right away, people, you know, it, it's like a George Pickens kind of guy where people will see he's different right away. Um but Jimbo doesn't really seem to care where they come from, man. Like he he's taken some really good players from um from the East Coast, from he's still recruiting Florida well. Um, he's taken some really good players out of like the St. Louis area in this class. Um, it's, it's similar to Florida state. He, he's just looking for ball. He said today, I love this line. He said, I ain't seen nobody win the Kentucky Derby with a donkey. And that's, uh, he's, uh, he's the first person I ever heard that from was Dabo Sweeney. That's a classic. He Dabo. was talking about asking, asking Clemson officials for more, better facilities and more staff. That makes sense. In 2011 or 2012. Well, Jimbo's uh, kept a trained eye on Dabo when he was at Florida State, so that makes sense. But, I mean, I, he, he's he's finding the kind of guys. Now, obviously, you got to develop him. you got to hold on to him and all that. But um, he's finding the blue chip guys all over the country and, and getting them to buy in that, that things are, are going to be different around there. So, while we're in the SEC, and you mentioned uh, Tennessee's good class, which, listen, if they can – build on what they did at the end of this season, they can be competitive in the SEC East by next year, which is amazing to me given what they were at the beginning of the season. Uh, but but let's talk about Florida because they, they've gone 20-5 and five so far under Dan Mullen, and they've done a good job. The question was, can Mullen be a good enough recruiter to make them an elite program? And it was interesting because he had a highly ranked class last year, but they lost so many from that class before they ever started playing that if you re-ranked it, I think it would have been in like the 30s. Yeah, it makes sense. And we, we didn't really hear Florida pop up very much today over the course of, of, of the signing day because they weren't, you know, there weren't weren't a bunch of big additions for them. But if you just go through it, it it's a really solid class. And it look, I mean, the this the 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 bar is extremely high here. Like you're you're looking over the fence at and seeing what Kirby Smart is putting together every year, and you know what kind of classes you have to assemble and hold on to. Um to, to, to con- continue to contend with Georgia. But I, I like what they put together. Derek Wingo's really, really good player uh, at, at linebacker. Jahari Rogers, the corner they took. I talked to a coach um, in the state of Texas who felt like he was probably the best corner in the state of Texas, um, at least right there with Jalen Jones, from who's going to A&M. So I, I think they it's, it's a really solid class. It wasn't a spectacular day for them, but um, these are the kind of ones you, you, you just foundationally you need to continue to contend. Yeah, and now the the quarterback that, that Florida went hard after from Jacksonville, Harrison Beck, he's already at Georgia. Anthony mm-hmm. Richardson is is the local guy that, that Florida took, who actually I think probably is a little better fit for Dan Mullen's offense. Harrison Beck, kind of a perfect fit for Georgia's offense. We'll see what happens if Jake Fromm's going to go pro or not, because uh, Harrison Beck could be 
you know, competing for that starting job right off the bat at Georgia. We're, we'll find out. But Max, before I let you go, I wanted to talk about something a little more fun. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we've seen how these these schools present their signees, and uh, you know, back in the Stone Age. It was just a case of they'd send out a press release. The coach would then have a press conference. They'd talk about it for a little bit, and that would be that. Then you had the fax cams. Then you had the graphics where there'd be you know, the fancy kind of poster on the Internet of, of the player who signed. Then you mm-hmm. had the videos, like last year, the weird Oklahoma like hipster club. Oh, the record they, store. Where, yeah, right. right yeah. Where they would, they'd pull out a record and put it on, and it would show the guy's highlights. This year we had two schools – that really took this to another level and just tremendous way to introduce their signees. And they took very different tacks on it. Notre Dame had the parents of each recruit record a narration for a video about the guy. And they had a bunch of childhood photos that ran with it. If you watched more than two of those, it didn't start crying. I I can't help you. That's a cold, cold heart. Yeah, for sure. It was just, it was amazing to hear how proud those people were. And I can, I, I, like, my kids aren't old enough yet. They're both in elementary school, but I can imagine when I send them off to college, and, and if, if one of them is fortunate enough to get a scholarship to a place like Notre Dame, that I would be so proud. And you, it just kind of dripped from their voices as they spoke. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And, and also, like, pretty, like, just, just a kind of a brilliant move on Notre Dame to sort of help. I think everyone, you want to reinforce the message to people that like going to Notre Dame, getting that offer and all that is, you know, like a life changing opportunity. Right. So, so to, to put it together like that, uh, almost like these, these, these graduation videos are from parents, really cool move by them. And it, you said at the, at the top, man, like it is amazing how far we've come that like you go back and look at just like the signing day graphics from like three years ago and they're terrible. Right. Oh, like the horrible. There's a, <laughs> like there, you and like I can 14 year olds producing better stuff did. now. For sure. For sure. And so like, in, you know, five years ago, that's something that like the SID would be like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. Right. And so just the way that this industry has evolved in like two years uh, in terms of the internal, uh, you know, media uh, producers is, uh, you know, shout out to, to all them, even the ones that were not mentioned here, because like, they, these people put so much work into these things now. Yeah, the other one I'm going to mention is Baylor. And I have a story about how Notre Dame and Baylor's video campaigns came together uh, that you can mm-hmm. read on The Athletic right now. The Baylor one, not nearly as sentimental, it starred puppets. They introduced their class with puppets of guys that... Uh, the puppets looked like the guys. They made custom puppets. And that's like, it's funny. I, I sent a text to, to their, their great SID Taylor Bryan this afternoon asking who, who the mastermind was. And he, he laughed and he was just like, yeah, I didn't really think this would be that big of a deal. I was like, you didn't like, you didn't think this would be just a massive viral hit on signing day. Like it's, it's fantastic. So they ordered the puppets quote from a lady on Etsy. No way. Yes, the puppets came from a lady on Etsy, and then they ordered all the different hairstyles and facial hair. And the best part is the the creative team took one of the puppets to a store to buy Baylor gear for it because they didn't know mm-hmm. what size. It's obviously, the stuff Nike sends them is too big, so yeah. they they went and bought a bunch of kids Baylor gear and then a bunch of like baby Jordans 
to put him in. And, and like, in case any of your listeners haven't like seen this, we're not talking like sock puppets here, right? We're talking like no. Muppets, Muppets, full on Muppets. And by the way, they the cherry on top was a Matt Rule puppet video, which features a puppet wearing the the signature shirt smock shacket that Matt Rule wears that Max so eloquently wrote about two weeks ago. I mean miniature smock. It's uh, it, it's it's sweeping the nation, man. It's a uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, Matt rules the man. Not not surprised. It, it also like was a pretty pretty savvy move on Baylor's part because it's not like this was a huge day for Baylor. Their recruiting class isn't even no, they're you know, one like of the number best in the 50. Big Twelve this year. Yeah, they they, they were yeah. only signing eleven players. It was a very small class. They knew it was going to be low ranked. So right. yeah, this is this is how you do it. You steal so some bust attention. Bust out the fireworks. I, I I loved it. Yeah. One other guy in the state of Texas who who really stole the show today, Max. I, I was amazed watching this, and it's one of those speeches I hope I'm eloquent enough to give when my kid is that age. Emmett Smith, his son, is signs with Stanford, and Emmett gets asked by the ESPN guys, you know, how much did Dad really want him to go to Florida and play for Dad's alma mater? And the speech Emmett gave, just right off the cuff was so incredible talking about how he needs to forge his own path. Emmett put the Gators hat on himself. He's like, I'm a Gator. His dad's a Gator, but he doesn't need to be a Gator. He needs to forge his own path. And it was like, I'm thinking, yeah, if my kid ever gets a full ride to Stanford, he better take it too. (laughs) Well, that's a, you know, that was kind of a uniquely tough decision for, for EJ Smith where it was Stanford and, and kind of all that comes with, with being a graduate of Stanford or Texas A&M and getting a chance to play in the SEC and play against Florida. And, you know, sort of this is a kid from a private school in Dallas who I'm sure, you know, wants to see can I play at my dad's level, right? And uh, and he'll get to – I mean, it, it, not to mention, like, if you're a running back, I think Stanford's a pretty good move overall. I think the last – this decade has, has proven that out. But, um, yeah, really cool for him. I'm sure the pressure to go to Florida, you know, from on, on Twitter and all that was a lot, but – um, this is a this is a really sharp kid, and I think a I think he made a great choice too, and just in terms of his fit, because he can play a little receiver too. He can he can be a versatile player, and I think Stanford could certainly use, uh, you know, the, the talent upgrade with guys like him. Yeah, and I hope that every parent, not just with a recruit, but every parent, just watch what Emmett said. These are very yeah. very wise words from Emmett Smith. So I'm not just saying that because we went to the same And Andy, if you have a kid that's uh, doing signing day, are you going to dress as well as Emmett did? For God, I hope day? so. I don't know if I can pull it. He, his sport coat was fire. And listen, EJ's suit was unbelievable. Three-piece Navy suit. I'm, I'm telling you, if, if we could pull that off in the Staples household, I'd be amazed. <laughs> that's fantastic. Max, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Folks, that's the show. We'll be back on Friday. The special new feature. You know, I have the Dear Andy column on The Athletic that comes out every Thursday. Well, I don't get to answer every question, and you guys ask some great questions. So on Friday, it's going to be a Dear Andy Live on tape. I get to all the questions that I haven't gotten to answer so far this season, and there's a lot of really good ones. We'll talk about that on Friday. Till then. Enjoy all your signees. <laughs>